this, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. From the border of Liberty Prosperity in the Highway of the North, this is Safety Wars for Wednesday, January 4th, 2023. So how many people fouled up on that date already? 2023. Wow. This year is just flying by. That's a joke. Yeah. This is a joke. We're trying a new format. Um, safety Wars. Where we're going to be reporting to these presentations on video and we'll be uploading some of the episodes. The thing here for uh, 2023, what everybody's doing since 2021, but hey, we do it I'm your host, Jim Polzel. Who am I? been doing this safety thing for over 30 years, coming up on 31 years. I own a GCP technical services and safety words. Safety words is online. What does that mean? He was like, well, what, what do you do for a safety consultant? Doesn't everybody want to be safe? Blah, 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 blah. And we all know what the answer is to that one. You've been in this. Yeah, everybody wants to be safe, but how many people actually uh, know what that means? That's why the beginning of the uh, every class we teach is we go and we talk about safety. What is it? About two things. It's resilience, capacity. Your ability to do stuff is capacity. Your ability to adapt is resiliency. That's what it is. It's not uh, zero accidents, zero illnesses, zero injuries. That's a really dangerous way of, uh, right, it's ironic, and it's, no, it's a dangerous way of looking at things, because especially if you're a manager, because then what happens? Human error gets in there, and all accidents have some facet of human error. Something goes in there, and then all what? All of a sudden, you're not a safe workplace? You're not worried about safety because of one in injury one incident one illness one this one that not the way to run a company not the way to manage people if you want to be uh you know like i did for many years you want to get at yourself all aggravated all the time that's what you do you do that kind of stuff so what do we do we talk sometimes safety in the news and then we have a topic or sometimes we have a topic and then safety in the news all depends on what I want to do here, how it works out. So last night we had our annual prediction show, our first annual. I hope to repeat this over and over and over again for everybody uh, every year. All my favorite uh, radio shows have predictions for the up and coming year. Uh, some of them are good. Some of them are bad. Who knows? Now, eventually, I hope to have like a call-in program where we can do this and people actually call in, but we're not there yet. Not there yet. Uh, so what do we have going on? We still have the DeMar Hamlin situation from Monday Night Football going on, and he has, report, as reported by several online outlets, he is showing some signs of improvement, and uh, that's a good thing. But what does it really mean for you? Right. Let's talk about this. Yeah, we all want to know that a lot of people are donating to his charity. A lot of people are praying for him. A lot of people are doing a lot of stuff for him and in relation to this. And yeah, that's great. Oh, let me move this camera over just a little. How's that? All right. A lot of people are doing a lot of stuff, sending good vibes, whatever we want for that. Uh, but the thing is, how do you respond to this with your organization, with your workplace? And what the reality is, is that uh, OSHA requires, that's the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. What do we do? We help companies comply with Occupational Safety and Health Administration regulations. We help them, now we're getting back to the original question, I'm usually all over the place. And we're uh, also talking, uh, we help individuals 
for home safety, things of that nature for your organization. We do training classes. Uh, I'm one of the few in Region 2 having all four OSHA outreach training credentials. Uh, my understanding is that there are other ones out there that are coming out, depending on what region you're in. And uh, uh, what's the bottom line here? Um, what are you going to do? Right, most companies, they say, well, yeah, we have a first aid situation. We, we're able to resolve. We got a kit. And then you go in there and the kit is empty. Happens all the time. Uh, funny story. We have, no, this is why I always say I have two kits, one out in the open, one with the emergency, whoever is doing the quote unquote emergency response for your uh, crew, for your organization. And that could be a supervisor, safety person, security, what have you, because this is what happens. You have one first aid kit and it's accessible, right? Yeah, I've been hanging on the wall in a file cabinet drawer. And what happens? Oh, I got a headache. Oh, let me go in there and I'll grab this. I got this from, I got that from. And before you know it, when you really need what's in there, it's empty. So you have two of them. You have one up front, you have one in the back. Uh, you may have an AED. You're not going to have two AEDs in all likelihood, uh, unless you got a lot of moolah. But anyway, what's uh, what do we do here for the... Uh, for all of this, uh, bottom line is uh, first aid CPR AED training. You're required to have a medical response within three to four minutes in your workplace. Most emergency responders, you call 911 or 911 on your phone, right? Most of them are not going to get there. And I'm not saying anything against anybody. It's a reality. They're not going to get there before. Uh, 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 now, within that three to four minutes, that so it's incumbent on you to have that in the workplace. Right. One of the right, oh, one of the things that we have as safety professionals, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to be preventing injuries, preventing accidents, preventing illnesses. And a lot of times, at least in the past, my experience, well, we're not too concerned about accident management. We're not too concerned about uh uh, responding because we're all about prevention. And for years, I did not want to do first aid CPR training. Then all of a sudden, I kept on hiring people, and some were good, some were bad to do the first aid CPR training. But what did they talk about? They did not talk about like it was for the workplace. They're talking about community. So what do we do when we're doing stuff with first aid CPR training? We talk about your workplace. We talk about accident management. We talk about bloodborne pathogens. We talk about all different types of stuff that and how it impacts your workplace, right? Because often what happens is, right, as, and this happens with community CPR, this is the way it is. You don't know who you're getting in that class. It could be anybody. So what do you t say? Call 911 for everything. Well, guess what? You may not want to do that if you're doing in the workplace. There are things that you call 911 for, and there's things that you go to urgent care uh, for and other things. Why? You go to 911, they take you to the emergency room. Right off the bat, they're giving you a prescription, OSHA recordable. Three days off, lost time injury, the overwhelming majority of times. You go to urgent care, especially one who's, uh, when the doctor is familiar with occupational safety and health, a lot of doctors go out there and they say, oh, yeah, I'm on, I deal with occupational safety and health. And then they end up making everything a recordable as well. I, well, you know, you just made it a recordable dude. It's usually a dude. Right. And oh, well, I'm the doctor. I know what's best. Well, you gave the person prescription ibuprofen. Why couldn't he have over-the-counter ibuprofen? Oh, well, what's the difference? I'm the doctor. I got, uh, oh, well, could he have gotten away with uh, over-the-counter prescription ibuprofen? Uh, yeah, yeah, he could have. Well, then why didn't you give it to him? Because now we have to put on the Ocean 300 log. Now our total recordable incident rate goes up. Now we're uneligible to make, uh, to bid on jobs and everything else. You could have gotten the same level of care. Right. If we would have managed this appropriately and we're there to help you manage things appropriately, that's one of the things that we do here on Safety Wars and JCP Technical. So 
what do you do? Give us a call. 845-269-5772 or jim at safetywords.com. We'll set you up with your own first aid CPR AED class. That's what you do, what we do. So lots of well wishes going out to uh, Damar Hamlin there and his family and his supporters there. My wife sent this on over to me, and yet I always talk about my wife and the things she sends over to me. She says, did you know in Charleston that the three people were killed in a collapse of a construction at a construction site of a scaffold? I said, yeah, we're covering it right now. Uh, so, again, five, uh, three people killed in Charleston at a construction site. Uh, we're going to talk more about that right here with... Uh, Hold on. Sorry there. It's live. It is live. recorded live, at least. Radio. Uh, so, yeah, it's uh, a big issue here, right? Obviously, three people like, killed. What do you need? What is not in any article I'm seeing on this? Uh, people say, well, Jim, how can you uh, talk about uh, Singapore? There's always these things in Singapore, and I think we have another story about Singapore, is that when you read one of their articles in their popular press in Singapore, it actually gives you a lot more details on how you resolve things, what you're supposed to do if there's a workplace injury, and it's they're phenomenal articles. It's kind of hard not to share them. But, and one of the purposes of Safety Wars and Safety FM in general is to give you a little bit more of the inside story on how to manage this kind of stuff, though these here uh, accents, these here incidents, these here, right, everything else that goes on, and some of it. So, what do you need for scaffolding? Right, first, first of all, foremost, you got to find out where you are in that regulation. Scaffolding is construction, right? Construction sites. Uh, can you have scaffolding in general industry? I guess you can, and everything else. But this, in this case, is construction. They're building something. So, what do you need? Because scaffold has got to be uh, done, right, constructed under the direction and supervision of a competent person. If you're outside of certain parameters, then you have to go to a registered professional engineer in the state that you are in. I mean, the state, meaning the locality, meaning like the 50 states, right? Not the state, meaning a drunken state, right? Hopefully you're not in a drunken state. Only but back in the day, forget about it, right? had that all the time so anyway we have uh yeah a little joke here safety can be humorous please said i keep, keep telling people that you go in uh to uh and this scaffolding competent person has got to go and make sure the scaffolding's constructed properly and usually uh they have to verify uh every day before the start of work that the scaffolding is correct right at the beginning of the shift and also the people have there's a list and you have a list there i usually have a list on my jobs right either it's a notebook or something like paper it's laminated these are the authorized users of this scaffolding because that competent person has got to verify everyone knows how to use that scaffolding they're authorized users now let's say that you're dealing with a job site with multiple contractors 20 or 30 contractors guess what every company has got to have their own competent person and every company has got to right there may be one competent person one company in charge of that scaffold but the users have to be right the users this is usually worked out by contract beginning of the job the users have got to be uh okay to use that scaffolding have got to be all checked out they have to have competent persons why training is one reason the big thing are you know and you're gonna say well jim what's so hard about going up on the scaffolding what's so hard about that well guess what <laughs> with the crap that i've seen on scaffolding over the last 30 years you'd be shocked what people do we mean improper tie-offs removing sections of the scaffolding to do some type of work the scaffolding competent person is not there wind kicks up people are working on the windy uh, day with the scaffold gale force winds uh low overloading the scaffolding not clearing the scaffolding of like snow and other debris accumulating debris on there there's any myriad of things that could go on with the scaffold that's why you need a confident person now if you're going to be in localities like new york state especially New York City, 
uh, where there's a license for that, right? For scaffold director and scaffolding common person and everything else. Guess what? Now you got a other things because if that thing ain't right, you got a problem, right? Your name is on that scaffolding. You got a freaking problem. Let's talk a little bit about New York because right now we all, we're all aware you work in New York. You have what is called commonly called the scaffold law, which states pretty much someone gets hurt from a fall. Doesn't matter what it is. And other, other, was uh, uh, some other situations. You're pretty much, you need an attorney. The attorney is just for a pro on a pro forma basis, meaning, yeah, you know, rush things along a little bit, you know, that sort of thing. Then you take care of that. You know, you just get things go, move things along. And the attorney, usually you hand him a check and that attorney goes and hands it to whoever because you can't fight it. There is uh, one of my neighbors here. This is all he does is scaffold law cases and workplace injuries. And basically he's a, yeah, I tell him like I, I tell my clients, Oh, you got a, uh, you know, uh, you got a problem with the scaffold law, right? And somebody's suing you, workers suing you, and no, guess what? You just give them the your uh, checkbook. There's really nothing you can do about it. Okay, great. And now there, I'm told that the uh, settlements, right, are well over a uh, million dollars into like the three million dollar range. And as we had uh, Don Becker right here um, at the beginning of December. Uh, when things go to jury trial, now juries have like a moral hazard sort of thing going on where if they don't like you, you're going to have a, you know, you're going to, they're going to whack you basically. And so that's the way it is. So this past week, right? Last week of the year, uh, Catherine Hochul, uh, actually two weeks, right? The 23rd, I think it was. She signed Carlos's law in New York State. What is Carlos's law? It's basically five, four major points of Carlos's law. It imposed a criminal liability on a corporation. An earlier version of this bill actually had a criminal violation create against the people, right? But now it's against the corporation. So impose criminal liability on a corporation when the conduct constituting the offense is committed by an agent of the corporation while acting within the scope of their employment, right? And on behalf of the corporation and the offense is in relation to a crime involving death or injury of a worker. So basically you foul up. So when your workers dies, guess what? You're, company has a criminal liability imposed on it, right? Number two, require a court to set restitution or reparations when a corporation is found guilty of an offense involving a death or injury of a worker. Three, impose a fine of not less, you're going to love this one, folks, not less of $500,000 nor more than $1 million when a corporation is convicted of a felony involving the death or injury of a worker. Think that's going to take uh, some money out of your bottom line there? Oh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> You're going to have a problem. Impose a fine. Well, well, impose a fine, number four, of not less than $300,000 nor more than $500,000, so $305,000, when a corporation is convicted of a misdemeanor involving the death or injury of a worker. So why, what's going on here, right? So on the article here, right? No, it's going to increase fines and everything else. This is the kind of stuff that goes on. And this is, uh, you know, uh, you don't believe me, Dr. Sheldon Primus, right? He'll tell you. You go out. So OSHA has a certain strategy, and I'm not saying anything against OSHA. I'm just saying the way it is. If you cooperate with them, right, and if it's a really fouled up situation, someone gets killed, they're thinking about what are the chances of a lawsuit, someone getting sued, something like that. And what they do often is set the fine at a very low rate. 
And you're looking at it, and it's like, holy crap. They really, someone died and they got, this is what historically has happened. Under the Biden administration, not so much. Why? Because they go and they want to get someone to admit guilt. You Okay, you get an OSHA fine, someone dies, $1,900 fine, let's say. Okay, most companies are going to just write that off and maybe contest it in an informal thing. And, you know, okay, admit their guilt, get it out. And they think that's going to be over. Lo and behold, somebody down the line gets involved in a lawsuit. Remember, it's extremely difficult to sue your employer. But who can you sue? You could sue a lot of people in there. Host employer, journal contractor, any other things. And again, I'm not an attorney. I don't play one on TV or anything like that. I'm just a guy out there with some experience dealing with these things. And I'm not the only one, right? We got a lot of them, especially on this network. Get to admit guilt and everything goes in there. So there was a famous uh, uh, amusement park down in the southeastern United States where a killer whale killed a trainer. And they litigated this thing for years with OSHA. They took it Occupational Safety and Health Review Commission. They took it here, Federal Courts of Appeals, blah, blah, blah. And it was all it was was a $9,000 fine, which back when it was given in 2009, 2010, that frame, that was a pretty close to the maximum of 15000 Well, I'm sorry, 14000 So, and by the way, next week, all the fines go up. So they've battled it after you get, get an admission right out of you. And now when it goes for litigation, now you're there. Oh, well, this you're already cited by OSHA. Okay. Now you got an issue here. Let's see where the issue is. Right. You think a jury is going to look very good on that? Well, this is what essentially happened here with Carlos's law is what I understand is that people got pissed off at all this stuff on the federal level, not having any quote unquote teeth in it. So what happened was say the local folks decided to go and get teeth in a law. And this is just basically the way it is. I mean, this is the way it is. So I'm going to ask you this. Can your company afford this if you're in New York? I don't think so. I don't think so. To have a couple of them. There's something like 169 debts and uh, worker debts in New York. Right? And the employer is always, basically always responsible. Not always, but all, pretty much always responsible. So uh, now we have an issue, right? here. Well, how's this going to impact our business in New York? How do you think? What do you think? We probably uh, businesses are going to choose not to do business in New York, or they're going to add this cost onto whatever the cost of the job is. Because, you know, businesses normally don't pay fines. They pass the costs along to the customers. But uh, I see with a fine of $500,000 or $300,000, I see a lot of small businesses going out, going out of business. And I see a big opportunity for safety professionals. So we heard uh, much in the news about the stimulus bill for fiscal year 2023, right? Uh, and uh, basically, uh, under fiscal year 2023, federal appropriations bill signed into law by President Biden on December 29th, OSHA is set uh, to receive about $632 million uh, for fiscal year 2023. That's an increase of about $20 million or 3.3 above fiscal year 2022. And uh, basically, uh, the Senate proposed more money. Uh, but and earlier this earlier last year. Right. Uh, there was a lot more money in there. So basically, what does it come down to? All of this, right? There's an increase in the budget, but not as much as people would like and not keeping up with inflation or anything else in there. So, uh, you know, another uh, thing 
right, to talk about, right? And the headline I'm reading is dum, 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 OSHA and MSHA receive fall, smaller than expected budget increases. Well, way it goes with the, uh, with that. That's why it's really important that we work safely if you're an employee on this and everything else, right? Because there may not be someone there backing you up as easily with that. I'm not saying anything against OSHA, but you have a limited amount of resources here. This is from Montero, California. Driver of a car that plunged off a cliff in Northern California, seriously wounding two children and a second adult after the 250-foot drop was arrested on suspicion of attempted murder and child abuse, uh, the California Highway Patrol said on Tuesday. And I will mention the name. It's not our uh, tradition here to mention names on here. I know this road uh, that they're on, and yeah, there is a point of drop on there. Trench collapse in Dallas leads uh, uh, to $165,000 in proposed penalties. And uh, here you go. A, according to a press release in June of 2022, two workers were in a trench when it collapsed. One of the workers was able to make it out alive, but the other one was buried by the collapse. The contractor did not have a trench uh, protection system. So again, here we go. What do you need? Confident person. You need planning. You need design work. You need all this stuff here with this. And $165,000. Fine, right? Here we have, I don't believe I'm even reading this here. And this is again, Dollar Tree worker killed in a machete attack. A Dollar Tree employee in Northwest Ohio is dead after being murdered with a machete while working on Sunday. As New Year's Day. The incident happened, blah, blah, blah. Police say they were called to the store and everything else. And they got the guy and charged them, right, uh, for this. Now, here's uh, what it is. Here, here's uh, what we have. Is this an OSHA recordable? If the person is an owner, and the answer is no. If it is a employee, uh, yeah, they should have, they were supposed to call OSHA within eight hours. And this goes on the OSHA 300 log. Now you say, well, Jim, that's, you know, blah, blah, blah. Hey, what we do, you know, people might complain. Well, don't you have any empathy? Yeah, I have a lot of empathy. Believe me, if I didn't have empathy, I wouldn't be doing this for a living. But what it comes down to is this, there's a business of safety. There's stuff, there's shit that you got to do. Paperwork is one of them. And this is one of those things where one of the biggest uh, causes of workplace fatalities in the United States is homicide. And it's not from homicide from people inside the workplace. They come from outside the workplace for this. So can you be cited in this situation? The answer is absolutely. You could be cited. Uh, and it would be under the most likely under the general duty clause of OSHA uh, to be doing this. Uh, to be cited uh, way it is. So we're going to go, uh, no, general duty clause. So depending on the circumstances. So if there was a hazard that was not identified here and the employer knew about it, there was a way of preventing it and it was feasible uh, to prevent it. Guess what? You violate, I believe those are all the four I'm going from memory here, right? Those, uh, you're pretty much screwed on that. And the employee, and more importantly, the employee is screwed. And uh, so what was there? Was there a security system in there? Was the worker behind a, uh, uh, behind glass? What were some of the other th things, right? Did you get training on situational awareness, which we can do also? All that. I'm going to uh, take a break right here. And I will get back to you in a minute. In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, 
has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with The Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with The Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with The Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. OSHA recordables, first aid cases, catastrophic losses. You want answers? So do I. This is Jim Polzel with Safety Wars. Yeah, that's us. We're fighting that there. Safety War every day out here. We're fighting it again and again and again and again. So let's continue some of the with some of the news and everything else. Hold on. This is going back to what we just said about at the beginning of the program on first aid and CPR. The percentages of injured workers who visit an ER, emergency room, that stands for, instead of a physician offices or urgent care centers, which are less costly alternatives for their initial medical treatment, varied across 28 states, according to a Workers' Compensation Research Institute study. So why do you want to go to an ER? Versus uh, something else, doctors, area, urgent care, something like that. Well, this is what the issue is. I mean, one, you don't educate your employees. You don't have an accident management program. Tomorrow, I'm doing a confined space entry supervisor course where one of my clients once Hey, we are, we find out that we have to start writing permits have to start managing these spaces. They're in the general industry world, the maintenance world, not the construction world. And, uh, we're going to be going over what some of the supervisor, uh, responsibilities are for what we're doing. So we're going to, uh, talk about accident management, accident planning. So. What happens? Let's say that you are working at night, all right? And someone gets hurt, where are you gonna go? Most urgent care centers, unless you're in like a major city like New York City, they close seven or eight o'clock, maybe nine o'clock. Maybe if you're lucky and you have a relationship with one, you may get a doctor to come in in the middle of the night, something like that. Doesn't exist, that's why you're going there. Uh, one of the other things, let's say you're in a really rural area. They may not have an urgent care center. They may not have a doctor's. You end up going to the emergency room. That's got to be set up and thought about way ahead of time and all this stuff. What if, uh, uh, no, a lot of workers, again, not trained, don't know misjudge the situation well we got to go to the emergency room what happens when you go to the emergency room regardless of what the injury is my experience three days off and a prescription that screws up all, everything so it's really worth it especially if you're in construction and you have to submit things like total recordable incident rates and things of that nature you need to go and guess what you need to go and Make sure those things are as close to zero as possible. This is where companies get into trouble. There's one warehouse company recently. They keep on getting fined for record keeping violations because their OSHA 300 log, which is supposed to be posted from February 1st to April 1st, right from the previous year. They, what do they do? They, that one company, they did everything for aid cases. We're going to go on to probably tomorrow what this is. Uh, for this very near future, all about recordables and everything else will have promos, the whole thing, right? For that, uh, they don't know. Let's say you're on, we're working on a holiday. 
I remember one year I was working on Martin Luther King uh, and uh, Jr. on the holiday. It was a Monday. Guess what? Somebody got hurt. That's a story for another day, that injury. And we ended up having to go to the emergency room for a corneal abrasion. And guess what? He got a prescription. That's an OSHA recordable. Turns out, six months later, I was on another project with him. They had a uh, medical technician on site, an EMT on site, because they were having issues with local or urgent cares and things of that nature that they had a medic on site where they could handle right uh, a boo-boo, right? And then, then everything goes into the big book of boo-boos. People who kill children will understand that reference in the United States. Uh, but anyway, what happens is the, uh, uh, we, uh, no, six months later, gets the same corneal abrasion, not wearing safety glasses again. I'm looking at his eye, his eye is gouged. I said to him, dude, you know, come on, what's going on here? So, well, this is all part of the job, getting hurt. I said, really? <laughs> And now I'm forced to know, uh, did you ever have this injury before? No. It's like, yeah, you did six months ago on the other job. <laughs> Come on. Same injury, same activity. But no, my son had a corneal abrasion recently from uh, doing some type involved in sports. I took him to the doctor and pediatrician says, oh, well, Mr. Posel, what do you think the problem? I think he has a corneal abrasion. You got to put the dye and look what they do. She said, really? I said, yeah, really. How do you know? And I told her the story. She said, oh, okay, maybe you should do the exam. And she was laughing about it. But uh, she uh, went in there and sure enough, corneal abrasion. Uh, but anyway, I digress. Here's some energy news. In Washington, President Joe Biden has named Willie Phillips, a Democrat, uh, acting chairman of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, FERC, on Tuesday. Phillips joined the commission in December 2021 after being appointed by Biden and approved by Congress. Phillips will be the first black person to take the reins at FERC. Before coming to FERC, Phillips served as the chairman of the Public Service Commission of the District of Columbia, starting in 2018, where he championed issues of environmental justice and equity. He was also a regulatory attorney with nearly 20 years in public and private service. Okay, great. Good for him. I don't know how that's going to change. Let's talk about some war news here, because there's a lot of war news out there. A lot went on since the last time we talked about this last year. So, reportedly, Ukraine says Russia plans a new mobilization to turn the tide of the war. They're expecting a new uh, offensive there because they're basically, uh, no, everybody had expected uh, Russia would steamroll Ukraine. That only happened up to a point is what it is and no i'm all, i'm not rooting for any one side here or anything else because well it is i do know this when my mother went through world war ii the ukrainians are going through right now with the expatriation according to all reports here uh do Ukraine is requesting uh, the one official is requesting UN peacekeepers at a, at nuclear plants. Ukraine sees speeding up of inspections as a key to the Black Sea grain deal. So let's remember, we're talking about safety here. We're talk about for some of you folks, this is the first time you're seeing this program on video. You right, it's always been audio except for two programs with uh Jay Allen and the Rated R Safety uh, Show, which is from you can hear on Safety FM from 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. Monday through Friday, and then he has another two hours on Radio Big. But uh, we talk about safety, we talk about food safety sometimes, disaster prep. Right now, this is the biggest impact of the war, right? We're talking gas. Right. Escalation is a big risk. Big thing is food supply. Ukraine has been called historically the breadbasket of the world with the grain exports and everything else. I don't know how they uh, compare it to other countries, but historically that's what it was. It's a 
with a war going on and everybody fighting the war. That impacts the people available for food, right? Grains and everything else. That's a that's a big issue here. That and Russia has been allowing grain exports because they don't want to crash the world's supply of stuff uh, of food. Because let's remember, cows eat grain, bulls eat grain. And one neighborhood in North Jersey, a steer got out and is terrorizing a neighborhood. Right. Anyway, my friend Dave's neighborhood. Uh, so I'm busting his shops. At, but anyway, all this stuff is grain. And I remember, one of the more, most important ones, beer. So the price of that goes up. We have a shortage. The price of that goes up. We got problems. We're not able to feed the world. Right? This isn't biblical times we're talking about. We're talking about now. Not able to feed people, you're going to have a problem. Mass starvation. Well, Jim, that could never happen in the United States. Oh, yeah, well, you haven't been paying attention. Food security has always been an issue. Any reason why population went down in this country from 1930 to 1940 by like 10 million people? Not an exact number, roughly. What do you think that was? What did we have in the 1930s here in this country? We had the Great Depression. And government policies exacerbated this a little bit and what probably went a little bit longer than it should have. But famine. People wondered. Right. And it was like I was talking to a wildlife biologist who was a specialist in populations of wildlife. And at least according to him, wildlife was completely decimated in the 1930s. Why? People still lived in rural, mostly rural, and people wiped out all the populations of multiple animals, raccoons, deer. Go hunting in New Jersey, where uh, I know where I grew up. You saw a deer in the woods. That was rarity. A deer in a neighborhood, suburban New Jersey, New York, didn't happen. Guess what? I have a whole uh, before hunting season. I had a dozen deer walking through the uh, backyard here every day. There's so many deer that one actually ran into me. <laughs> a little fawn, right? How could you miss me? I don't know, but ran into me, and that never happened. All this stuff has an effect. Food security, big one out there. Russian commanders blamed for heavy losses losses in uh, New Year's Day's strike. Now, this has been making the news in this country for uh, the last six months actually going all the way back to the Trump administration with certain, and I'm not going to mention the apps because I'm going to get whacked here with uh, somebody who's going to complain. There's a certain app, social media app, that's very popular with the children. And uh, it comes from a country where the military has an interest in all the companies, right, by law. And One of the things is the government, U.S. government, is not allowing that app on the the phones, right? They told the military, get it off now, civilian contractor, everybody else with the government, civilians, get it off the app if it's not a government phone. And in some cases, right, this is probably going to be their own personal phones, at least when they're at work. Why is that? These phones could be hacked, right? And they could track your location. So what they're thinking is happening here in Russia and the Ukraine situation is that soldiers have their cell phones on in their barracks. Now Ukrainians go and track where they are. Big issue. Ukrainians could go and track where they are. U.S. military, they're worried about their soldiers being tracked. 
I think that that's a big risk. I'm not a computer guy, but I can tell you, I'm sure that there are other programs that they could hack to get the same information. But in this case, you're giving the information away. So what's the uh, point here is, no, this is an issue, tracking. Apple has run into issues with the uh, tracking devices and some of the other uh, brands out there also recently. And uh, first time I heard about this was about three years ago where uh, people had fitness trackers or uh, uh, watches, smart watches. They're going through and into uh, like secure facilities and people are tracking them. I need those steps in. So I'm going to walk around the facility. Now someone can uh, uh, no go and hack the your watch, hack the program, and know where what the outline of the whole facility is. Right, all of that happens here, and that's all part of the safety war. There's a uh, story out of Singapore. Right now, uh, they're exploring the use of underground space to defend Singapore against rising sea levels amid climate change and intense rainfall. Responding to inquiries, the agency said that it's going to go and try to uh, go underground. All right, so, and this is going to be controversial, and I do not shy away from controversy here with the whole global climate change stuff. All right. Uh, Everybody knows uh, my opinion on this, on a lot of this. I don't think uh, that's not what the point is. Sea level rise. Sea level has been rising for roughly the last 25,000 years, give or take. When you go out to the Jersey Shore, right? Yes, there was a TV show, Jersey Shore. You want to go out there and hang out with Snooky on the Jersey Shore? No, if she's still there, I don't know. You go, or you want to go to Gunnison Beach. But anyway, not that I've ever been there, but you know, some people like that thing. So you go out and you look. And you go and you get your binoculars and you look and you're like, the shoreline was 90 miles out 25,000 years ago. So without, with normal weather patterns, climate patterns, solar uh, output cycles, right? We realize the sun runs in cycles. The sea level rose to where it is today. And it's continuing to rise without any, uh, anything in stop for 25,000 years. All right. So where are all we're human beings. I, I like the beach. I never really cared for the beach because of this, but you know, I got married going out with my wife. She likes the beach. We go to the beach. You have fun. Kids love the beach. They'll play volleyball, throw the frisbee around, whatever else. See the sights on the beach. Everyone likes the beach. A lot of people like to live at the beach. They have, we have whole communities on the beach. As the sea level rises and something like two to three millimeters, maybe five millimeters a year. What happens? Your wave energies change. I'm not a sedimentologist, but I do know about this. Starts eroding the beach, starts depositing sand in the areas, starts and everything else that, you know, that's why we have all this uh, 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 dredging that goes on to maintain the beaches, maintain the waterways, things shift, everything else. My buddy, uh, my former political buddy uh, down in North Carolina lives on a on a uh, lives on a block where one of the houses is up on pilings and it's like thirty foot into the water, right? And they just sold it like three years ago, <laughs> already thirty foot in the water, right? Because a storm came in, washed things away. So what's my point? The biggest hazard that we have with global warming in the developed world is that we put all of our communities right on the shore with rising ocean levels. See a problem there? I see a problem there. And climate shifts and changes anyway. Now you're putting more and more expensive things. So originally areas of the Jersey Shore had those bungalows there, maybe 800 square foot. 1,000 square foot, 
bungalows. You're there for the weekend, blah, blah, blah. Okay, guess what? Nothing's in there. You know, remember, 1940s, these things were built. And before, no TV. You may have had a radio, which was a big ticket item in those days. You had a car getting in there, and you had nothing else. You didn't even have a front lawn. It was all sand and rocks, right? Typical beach community. What was the damage? So that got washed out to see. That got washed out to see. Yeah, you were damaged. You were upset and everything else. Okay. What do we have? We have multi-million dollar high rises, half a billion dollar high rises. We have communities. The houses are going. You can go on realtor.com and somewhere else. Zillow. These things are millions of dollars. And that little uh, 800 square foot bungalow ain't a 800 square foot bungalow anymore. Now what happens? You got a storm coming in a hurricane and we always get, again, this is media manipulation. This is the strongest, most powerful hurricane we've ever known to man coming. And it's a category two, right? And a category five, that's what we hear. And again, uh, with what happened in Florida last year with the horrible hurricane down there, people were tuning in, right? Because now they're panicked and they're miss, they're seeing these things for the first time. And a lot of people aren't evacuating. You get a lot of Northerners that came down here during the pandemic. They don't know anything about a hurricane. They know Superstorm Sandy. What do they know about a hurricane? They don't know anything. Now you have huge property losses, huge damages, huge payouts. And guess what? Nobody has enough insurance. Now you're now you're all screwed because the price of building materials went up during the pandemic with supply chain. There's not enough money to pay for this. Go back and check our uh, uh, program in December with Dawn Becker. She goes into the whole thing of insure people first. Now, that's where the real issue is for the West. What about for the third world, or let's say you're up in an area with on the on like the Arctic tundra with the Inuit people, I believe that's how you say it, or the Polynesian people out there in the Pacific. You got whole islands disappearing because of this. Climate. Now what are we gonna do about it? Any of the proposals out there are not gonna address the problem of rising sea levels. Right? On paper or in reality. And that's where I'm standing by this. So something else has got to happen here. Something has got to give. Some common sense has got to give. So we're backtracking a little bit here. We're going to finish up with three stories here. Workplace violence. There was an international survey from the, uh, from the International Labor Organization. Uh, Lloyd's Register Foundation Management and uh, Management Consulting Company, right? That surveyed surveyed seventy four. Yeah, I could talk seventy four thousand workers in one hundred and twenty one countries. And what are they finding out? Workplace violence and harassment remain widespread as victims fear speaking up. Human organizational performance one of the principles. How you react to bad news. Matters. Are you going to be out there screaming and yelling at your employees? Blah, blah, blah. Well, this is what this is here, according to the survey. Right? Victims don't want to speak up. Do you have a system in place? I've dealt with this with my own company, my own clients, with sexual harassment. One, I don't put up with is zero tolerance. In any case, me or for my clients, if I'm on a job site, right? Uh, Number one. Number two is uh, you have to have a system in place on how to manage this, how to document this in a professional, legal, ethical, empathetical way. A lot of companies don't, a lot of companies don't have this. We get people, now you'd be surprised, uh, some of the jobs I'm on, we get folks coming from another country, right, that come in and they're like, and I'm not going to mention the company. They have no concept of sexual harassment. It's like, look, when you come to this, and it's the women and the men have no concept of this. And we do know that, you know, some banter back and forth could develop between the sexes out there and the normal workplace environment. Yeah, that's normal. If everybody's consensual and everything, it's probably even legal uh, for that to happen. Right, under the right circumstances, see your human resources. Think companies have policies and everything else. All right. So 
you go out there. No, there's no concept. So what is when you get people coming in from a foreign country, from a different culture, you're going to have to go into sexual harassment. What is acceptable in your workplace, in your country? What's legal? This is a job for human resources. Unfortunately, it usually gets dumped on the health and safety consultants or the health and safety people when they come in that first say just like sometimes the roles are reversed or safety gets dumped onto human resources. Now, uh, what's the other thing? Where are we going to go with this? All right. So you got to explain to people what's acceptable, not what's not acceptable. A lot of people are, don't think that they're being harassed. Don't think that things are inappropriate. So I had a situation with me personally where I was uh, uh, getting medical treatment. Nothing, nothing major. And it turns out that probably uh, around 25 years later, I had a similar injury. I went in for therapy and I was with one of our friends who was does that type of therapy for a living that said to her, hey, uh, aren't you going to do X, Y, and Z, do this, blah, 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 blah. She said, what the hell are you talking about? I said, well, what do you mean? This is what the person did last time. She said, you're not supposed to do that. I was like, really? So I became to uh, understand that people, things happen sometimes. You don't know, recognize it at the time that this uh, sort of thing, uh, you know, was bad, inappropriate. I didn't realize I was 26 years old. What did I know? And believe me, I was a 26-year-old social misfit. Some people say I'm a 53-year-old social misfit. But anyway... Uh, so I could see that happening years later. You're having an, an issue right now. The two stars of the nine, late 1960 version of uh, Romeo and Juliet are suing because they didn't realize at the time that what uh, there was some nudity in the film with both of them and they were being exploited. They're suing. I don't know how where it's going to go, but uh, all these years later, because the laws have changed and uh, statutes limitations. So victims are afraid of uh, speaking up. What do you do? I tell you what I do. If someone is uh, uh, harassed, stop work, do an investigation. If the minute that they report it, period, end of discussion, you do it immediately. You have to have a system, which means you have to have a system in place on how to question and manage and everything else. Number two, it could go the other way. Yeah, it could go the other way. Well, well, Jim, what do you mean it could go the other way? Let's say that you're a manager or you're someone and you had to deal with an employee or some other employee that may claim sexual harassment or you're afraid of being sexually harassed by. What do you do? Well, Jim, that never happens. Believe me, it happens to me. Have a witness having things uh, uh, being recorded as a, uh, if it's legal, depending on your locality, things of that nature. Uh, there are certain employee I have with me, and I'm going to be honest with you. I do the Reverend Billy Graham or the former vice president, Mike, Mike Pence rules. I'm never alone with anybody, period. I have to go out up and give a, uh, give a, uh, uh, talk to someone to be on safety or whatever chances of me being alone not going to happen chances of me especially if i have to deal with uh uh someone who of the opposite gender right or if uh someone who identifies as the opposite gender or some or something like that i'm never alone that's the way i handle it why or okay uh, if i have to meet someone and then it's never in private i have the door open that happens, and you can't afford it. So I hope that this went well uh, today, this little video, and we're going to be doing more of this uh, for safety wars. And remember, go out there and fight that safety war. Out there, be successful. For safety wars, this is Jim Polson. 
The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. 